Well, good morning, guys. Uh, this is strange, to say the least. Uh, I'm used to staring at your beautiful faces, and now I am very much alone uh, in our study, staring at a camera and Anthony. So um, this is where we are, and if I'm being really honest, uh, I'm grateful to God right now uh, that we live in a moment in history where we can even record a message that can be distributed into your homes on Sundays. And so um, yeah, I'm just grateful to God for that. And I hope that these weeks that we're apart uh, in physical distance, that we would really continue to experience the richness of God's word together and that he would shape us to be people who are following him even in these times. Um, if you have small kids with you, uh, our amazing children's ministry leaders have provided a downloadable sermon sheet for them to use during this time. Um, I know uh, one of them is for uh, youth age and one is for smaller children, and so we hope that you'll download that and uh, let them fill that out, and uh, that'll be good for them to, to work through and then to maybe talk to you about uh, once this time together is over. Um, so with all that said, if you could grab a Bible and open it up to the book of Isaiah, we're actually in chapter 42 in the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in verses 1 through 9 this morning. We're just a few weeks away from Holy Week, which if you're unfamiliar with the term Holy Week, it's just the week that we remember um, Jesus's uh, time in Jerusalem and where he uh, is crucified on Good Friday and then he's resurrected three days later. It's really the, the foundational week that we celebrate and remember it in our faith. It's, it's really the most precious week to us. And uh, I thought it'd be really fitting in this season to go through these four so-called servant songs of Isaiah leading up to that point as we kind of examine what these songs prophesy about in the foretelling of Jesus' coming and his life and what he's going to do and really in his suffering. And um, I, I, I prayerfully planned these texts months ago. And uh, if I'm being really honest with you, I, I've naturally wondered just in the face of our, our new events and livelihood right now, I've wondered if we should change course. And um, just to be honest, I came to the conclusion that, no, this is exactly what we need right now. And there's a few reasons for that. Number one, I, I trust in the foreknowledge of God that when we planned these texts months ago, that he knew this was going to be the time we were going to be in when we came to these passages. And then secondly, just even as I'm reading these things, I, I think these really have such a relevant word to say to us. And that feels like the biggest understatement because the Bible is always alive and relevant for our life no matter what. But I would say that more than anything, uh, what you and I need during this moment in time is not just some more tips of how to get through or to live. You and I really need to come face to face with Jesus. He, we need Him. And um, I think these passages really help us do that. Uh, I'm reminded of the hymn that sings, Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And that's exactly what we need, and that's exactly what I hope will happen during this rare season for us. So I'm just going to read these nine verses together with you right now, and then I'm going to pray, and we'll get into it. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 42, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. 
A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and now new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Let's just pray together. Father, uh, we come before you today and we ask that you would so graciously breathe on us. Uh, Would you breathe life, God, into us? And we ask that more than anything, that you would set your glorious son Jesus before our eyes, that we would behold him, and that our hearts ultimately would place their hope today in him. So we ask that you would accomplish that in this time through your word. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Uh, We all have heroes, don't we? We all have heroes. Um, Depending on the season of life you're in and, and, and who you are, our heroes vary from person to person. So if you're really young, maybe your hero is Elsa. Uh, Maybe it's Black Panther, maybe it's uh, Batman, maybe your hero is a teacher, and uh, you not being able to go to school right now is is really hard for you because you love your teacher, you look up to them. Uh, Maybe a hero of yours is your dad or your mom or a grandparent, or maybe you look at a figure in history as as someone who is a heroic figure in your life. Maybe your hero is is a pastor you've had, or it's it's a mentor that you've had in your life. I mean, Essentially, a hero is just someone who we admire and who we prop up as a courageous, achieving person who has these really noble qualities about them. Heroes are people that we we look up to, and often we want to be like, and so we find ourselves imitating their lives. But more than often than not, heroes are people who do things that we couldn't do. Uh, they, they succeed in places where we fail. They are brave in moments where we are very fearful. They are wise when we feel very foolish. Uh, we're living in a very unique and unprecedented time right now, one that if you were making predictions, you'd probably place a bet that you will never live through something like this again in your lifetime. And in this unique moment, we are longing for a hero someone who is wise enough to lead us into the future, someone who is strong enough to to stand against anything, someone who can turn the sickness and dysfunction of our world into a new, ordered, and beautiful world. And, And we find him this morning. We find that hero, if you will, this morning in our passage. We come face to face with the promised Messiah, and he, in our passage, is called God's chosen servant. 
What a, what a timely passage, I think, for us to reflect on today. In a moment of time like ours with so much fear and unknown, God gives us a passage that puts before us this truth that God sends us his chosen servant to bring about the world that he's always intended. That's what this passage is showing us. He's sent his servant to bring about the world that he's always intended. And so there's just a few things that we're going to look at this morning, a few questions, if you will. The first question we see in verse one is, who is God's chosen servant? Who is this servant? Uh, Secondly, we need to ask, what will God's servant do? And we see that in verses one through four and verses six through seven. And then lastly, just what's the guarantee of his success? That this is something we can really stake our lives on. And we're going to see some of the answers to that in verses five through six and eight through nine. So first, let's just answer this question, who is God's chosen servant? We, We need to ask that question first. The name of servant is used many times in the book of Isaiah, if you've ever read it before. It comes up in a lot of different places, and primarily, it's a reference used to talk about Israel, God's people. And often when it's describing them, it's talking about their failure at being God's servant, how much they've failed in being God's servant in his world. Now, here in this passage, in chapter 42, things change because the servant here, and especially down in verse 6, is referring to a singular person. Well, who is this servant? Well, he's God's servant, it says in verse 1. He is upheld by God, it tells you in verse 1. He didn't rise up, therefore, and receive recognition, and he was just the best one, and so God said, okay, you're going to be my servant or something. We're actually told in verse 1 that he's God's chosen servant, and God delights in him. This verse ends by saying that the Holy Spirit is upon him. All this language is pointing us towards that moment. If you turn to the right in your Bibles, if you keep reading the story of the Bible, you land in a place uh, called the Jordan River where Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist. And in that scene, you probably know the story, in that scene Jesus comes up out of the water and what does it describe? It says, the, the Spirit of God descends on him like a dove. And then God the Father calls out from heaven with an audible voice, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. That's my soul delighting in him language. And this is the inauguration of Jesus' ministry before he goes out and does his work in ministry. We see here, even in a situation, a story like that, that Jesus is God's chosen servant. And that's further described in the book of Acts when Peter is talking about Jesus. He says this, quote, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. And then, guys, this is exactly how Jesus saw himself. He famously said in Matthew 20, 28, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. I came to serve, and the way that I came to serve is to die, is to give my life as a ransom for many. Can we just stop right here for a moment, though, I mean, what a, let's acknowledge, what a strange title for Jesus to have. It's not one maybe that you and I use very often when we describe Jesus. It doesn't, doesn't seem right, does it? I mean, Jesus is the Son of God. He is God. He has always existed. I mean, if you read your scripture prompt this morning together in your home, you read the book of Colossians chapter 1 that describes Jesus as the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, that through him all things were made and are held together. 
you know, incredible language. He is, he is higher and greater than anyone. He's God, yet he's called the servant. I mean, this doesn't really make sense to us, does it? I mean, just think about it for a second. I mean, just, just ask yourself or answer the question, if, if you could meet anyone famous in the world, I mean, who's the person that you would want to meet? If you could have a meal with someone that, that you just really look up to, that you really admire, who is that person? Just lock into that person in your mind. I mean, who, who would you say? I mean, who I would say is probably very different than who you would say. I mean, I, I probably have different pastors I look up to, and so I would maybe give them as an answer, or um, I do like sports, and so maybe I'd say someone like Steph Curry or something like that. And so let's just say, for example, that I really admired Steph Curry, and I imagine maybe that he is someone who says, hey, I want to come over to your house for dinner. Okay, let's just imagine that, that the person, whoever you're thinking of in your mind, is going to come to your house for dinner. Okay, obviously this is after this whole coronavirus thing, you know, everything's sanitary. Then, you know, we can come together and you can actually have a dinner again with somebody. So if Steph Curry was going to come to my house, what do you think I would do? Well, I, w- I would prepare my house in a way that maybe I've never prepared it before. I'm going to do lots of yard work, right? I'm going to vacuum. I'm going to wipe down every surface. I'm going to clean every closet. I'm going to do everything because I wouldn't want to be embarrassed if he were to see some area of my house that maybe I wasn't anticipating him seeing, but he saw it and it wasn't prepared for him. I would go all out in trying to clean this place up for him. Now imagine though that he shows up early and he's got some yard work clothes on and he says, I'm here to help. You know, I want to make this place right for dinner tonight. That would be a really hard thing to receive. I'm sure that is for whoever you're imagining right now in your mind. Why? Well, because in many ways, these people feel way more significant than we do. Right? These kinds of people don't feel like servants to us, do they? I mean, a servant in our minds is the lowest of low. They do things that we don't want to do. Right? They serve us so that our lives would be made easier. Right? They do the dirty things so that I can stay clean. Right? This is the image that we have of a servant, yet Jesus is the chosen, promised servant of God, and he is God, creator, sustainer. All glory and honor goes to him. Every knee will bow to him. That Jesus, right? This is how Jesus is described and how he describes himself. Well, what's he going to do? And that's what we find in verses 1 through 4 and 6 through 7. Verse 1 tells us that he is going to bring forth justice to the nations. Do you see that? Right? Verse 3 ends by saying, he will faithfully bring forth justice. Verse 4 says, he will not grow faint or weary until he has established justice in the earth, all the way to the coastlands, all over the globe, every square inch. See, it's clear in these verses that what Jesus has come to do is establish justice. It's clear. Right? Now we often hear this word justice and we picture maybe like a really overly wooden courtroom or something like that with a judge and a bench and, and some people on trial or something. And, and that would be a very true picture of, of what often justice is. Justice is righting wrongs. Okay? But this word justice is much more than that. Uh, in the Hebrew, actually, this word justice is the word mishpat, mishpat, which is a really fun word to say. So maybe at lunch today, you could try to drop it in there in the conversation, right? It's, it's mishpat. And what that word means simply is putting the world right. That's what this word means. The world as it was designed 
to be. Okay? See, biblical justice is the perfect human society. So justice, according to the Bible, is a model community. It's a blueprint for the life that, that, that you and I ought to be living in, essentially. So when we pray, like the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying for justice. It's much more than just legality. It's, it's beauty. That's what it is. Jesus came to replace our sin-infested failed societies with a new community that embodies the truth and beauty of the gospel. So the servant of God is coming to put God's world back in order. That, that sounds amazing, doesn't it? And yet, I propose to you that it gets even better because look at how, look at how the chosen servant is going to bring about mishpat, this bringing the world back to the way it's supposed to be. Verse 2 says, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice. That's not a reference to saying he will never preach or speak. This is a reference to pain, right? Why that description? Well, it's, it's, it's cluing us in on how this servant will suffer. And yet when he suffers, he will not open his mouth. You're going to see that in the, in the final servant song most vividly. It continues on and says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. What does this mean? What, what's a reed? Do you know what a reed is? Um, Honestly, if I'm being really real with you, I, only, I always just thought a reed was that wooden thing that you put on a clarinet so you could play it, because I was, I was really cool and I played clarinet in sixth grade. So, um, but, but that's not exactly what this is describing here. A reed is just a really tall blade of grass. That's a reed. It's like a really tall blade of grass. It's really something that's long and, and fragile, and we have these all over the place in Oregon, so you can go outside and probably see one even today. And so a bruised reed is something that's bent, it's fragile, it's been stomped on. It's a single blade of grass that isn't holding up. It's, it's bruised, it's, it's seen better days, if you will. It's feeling weak. I actually wonder this morning if, if you're feeling like this, if this feels like a description of, of your life right now. Well, what's a, what's a faintly burning wick? Well, we know like if you've ever lit a candle and then you blow it out, the flame is gone, but you see that final glow in the wick. It hasn't completely burnt out yet, but, it, but it's, on, it, it's headed there, right? So saying he won't even put that out, right? It's a description of something at its very end. It's faint. It's very faint. Do you see the way in which Jesus the servant is bringing about justice and putting everything right? It's not by count coming in and, and stomping on everyone. It's not cleaning house, so to speak. It's not through muscling everything and, and abusing power to exert your own will, you know, so to speak. It's through humility. It's through gentleness. It's through laying down his life in service. He will remake the whole world, not by elbowing his way through the crowd, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. He will succeed where we have failed. He will bring forth justice to the nations. In other words, you guys, if you feel like a bruised reed, this morning, that you're barely holding up. If you have a faint flame left, Jesus comes along and doesn't crush you. His work is, is to mend you. It's to hold you up. He comes along and he fans into flame that dying fire so that the heat will flame up again. How amazing is this, that the God who made the world perfect Yet through our sin, this world in its fallen state 
carries all these painful realities. Yet God doesn't send the Messiah to crush the world, but to save the world. And in such a way that doesn't even let the most flickering, faint, bruised people get crushed and burned out. I mean, just name one other great world leader in history. Just think of somebody. Try to think of anybody who isn't a person that's tried to recruit all the strong and the most successful and the most acclaimed and the most wealthy people to their team, right? Name one other great world leader who doesn't need our strengths, but only brings his own and welcomes our weakness and sickness. Just name one. You can't. See, the better future we long for lies in the gentle hands of the servant king. You might be thinking, man, that's good. That's great. The world needs to change, right? And boy, aren't we aware of that right now. But here's the thing. What wrongs need to be righted? What is it that really needs to change? Well, well, putting the world right actually involves me getting right with God. The the wrongs that are going to be righted are not apart from me, as if it's just out there, there's someone else to blame. The world isn't right because of me. I mean, just, just look at the further spelling out of the servant's work. What's he going to do? He's going to be given by God as a covenant for the people. That he's going to uphold our end of the covenant that we failed to uphold. Right? He's going to be given as a light for the nations. Right? You see that? To open the eyes of the blind. That's what your passage says. To bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. Right? From the prison, those who sit in darkness. This is the justice. This is the mishpat that Jesus came to do. So clearly so that when John the Baptist in the Gospels was talking to his disciples and he was about to die in prison, he sent his disciples to go and find Jesus and they had one question. John had one question he wanted to know the answer to. Ask Jesus, are you the one that we've been waiting for? Are you the chosen servant? He wanted to know. And Jesus' answer wasn't, go tell John Yes, I'm the one. That's not how Jesus answered it. He could have, but he didn't. What was his answer? Well, in Luke 7, chapter, 20, chapter 7, verse 22 and 23, he says this, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. See, guys, Jesus physically did miracles. Right? We love reading about them, like, like take away people's blindness. You remember that? But, but all of his miracles were really illustrations, if you will. I mean, they really happened. The physical healings that God did were really important and really valuable, but they were pointing to something much, much bigger than that. These physical manifestations of Jesus healing sickness and raising the dead are all pointing to deeper realities about his mishpat work. See, he doesn't just come to give physical light but to help us truly see. That's what that means. He comes to reverse the curses of Isaiah chapters 6 and 9, where you see people, because of their sin, they can't see, not physically, but they can't really see. Right? They're, they're seeing the physical world, but they're not really seeing. You know, They, they see the sun, but they sit in deep darkness. Right? They, they think they're free, but they're actually in captivity. Who? 
I mean, who, who is blind? Who's in the prison? You know, who's, who's sitting in darkness? Well, it's, your passage says it's the nations. Well, who would that be? Well, that'd, that'd include you and me. Oh, man, we need a hero, don't we? I mean, if my reality is prison, blindness, darkness, and I actually call those places freedom, sight, and light, I need more help than I realized. The world being put right means me being made right with God. You see, right now, many of us are in a very frustrated place. Everything is uncertain. It's changing by the minute. We want the world to be put right. That's a good desire. And God has provided this moment in time for us and the nations as a whole to come face to face with Jesus, the chosen servant. And we must see this moment as the providence of God. He is still fathering us as his children to see the true Messiah that we need, the real hero that we need, to see our real problems. Our main problem is not sickness. Our main problem isn't even death. Our main problem is our wrongness. Right? It's, our, it's our sin. Because apart from someone coming and saving me, if I die, my problem is God. Because He will rightly judge me. And I will not be able to stand up. You see, think about it. Death is only a thing because sickness is a thing. And sickness is only a thing because sin is a thing. And sin is only a thing because I am a thing. Guys, my goodness. God sends Jesus not to crush you, He doesn't break the bruised reed. He doesn't quench the final flame in your heart. You were sitting in a prison with with an eternal life sentence, and he entered your cell and set you free. Our, Our idols lock us into prisons. You and I experience that. But Jesus brings prisoners out. Jesus comes to set us free from the dungeons that you and I create and the dungeons that we sit in because we are a part of this fallen world. We are experts, you guys, at creating misery for ourselves. Yet Jesus is the ultimate expert at bringing healing to our lives. How does he do it? Well, it's by giving his life as a ransom for many. I love what John Stott said. He said, the cross is God's way of righteously righteousing the unrighteous. That's mishpat language. That's exactly what the gospel is. The cross, Jesus giving his life as that ransom. The cross is God's way of righteously righteousing the unrighteous. This is how he serves. This is how he brings mishpat. It's by giving his life as a ransom for the nations. Well, what's guaranteeing his success? We see this in verses 5 and 6, 8 through 9. How can I know that this world will be put right again? You see, it's, it's really easy to start something, and finishing something well is it's a whole other thing. For a simple example, I, I tried to run on the treadmill the other day. I felt really motivated. I don't know why. I was just like, I'm just going to do this. I started running. I felt awesome. And then I got to point two miles, 
and my goals for how far I was going to run just kept going down further and further. And I had a really good vision. I had a really good start. I finished by basically wanting to throw up. Okay, you, you see, it's it's easy to start something. Right? We can apply this to a lot of things in life. It's it's easy to start something, especially that's noble. Something as noble as wanting to make the world right. That's that's easy to start, which which many of our world are actually wanting to do right now. And that's a really good thing. But it's, it's hard not to grow faint in doing so, isn't it? So you can spend your whole life trying to right the world, but you'll come to the end and see that you weren't the ultimate hero bringing mishpat. We need someone greater. We need someone whose existence never ends, someone who has all power and all glory. We need someone who can not only hope for certain events to happen in the future, we need someone who can promise future events will happen and has the power and the goodness and faithfulness to see those things through. And that's who we have. So thus says the Lord, the God who created the heavens, stretched them out, spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. You look down in verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carve idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I declare, and I tell you about them before they spring forth. Right? See, Jesus, the servant, is going to bring this about, and he's not going to weary of the task, you guys. He's not going to get tired like I did on the treadmill. Look in verse 4, he will not grow faint or be discouraged. It's the same word as bruised till he has established justice in the earth. He's going to do it. How's he going to do it? Verse 6 tells you again, God says he's going to do it. What do you see there? The repetition, I will, I will. Who will? God will. The one who is the Lord who holds all glory, verse 8, right? He is the worthy one who deserves all praise. It's not the carved idols, right? Those things that you and I treasure so dear that we we give our lives to and worship, but we, we don't call it that, but that's what we're doing. And quite honestly, maybe a lot of us are feeling the vacancy of not being able to worship those idols in this moment in time when things are being taken away. Guys, it's because God will do this. He's guaranteeing it. Verse 9 is a treasure of an ending. It says the former things have come to pass. All that's wrong is coming to an end. And new things I now declare. What new things? What's the things that he said the servant's coming to do? Right? And he tells you before they spring forth. Meaning God is, he's planted a seed that maybe you and I can't always see, but its, it's root is going to shoot down and, and that blade, that initial blade is going to pop through. He's telling you about it before it comes to pass, that he is doing a new thing. God's kingdom will come. And God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you and I were made for that. I just want you to ask yourself this morning, I want you to answer this truthfully. Where is your hope at? Where is your hope this morning? I don't know about you, but every day feels a little bit foggy right now, doesn't it? It's like we're on a drive out in the Columbia Gorge on some windy highway or something, and I can't see the destination. And that's just life in general. On a sunny day, I can't see the destination. I can just see where the next turn is. But right now, even, it feels even more difficult. You know, the fog is so thick. I can, it feels like I can barely see in front of my bumper, you know? That's where I feel like I'm at. 
Yet God proclaims to us this morning that he will do this. And we, we look back and we see that he did come through, that the chosen servant did come. And with the eyes of faith, the invitation for us this morning is to, to actually look through the fog and know that one day total and full mishpat will come to this world, the world that we were made for. And the reason that you and I will be there is because of Jesus. I think it's fitting this week, just reminded of that quote from Corey Tenboom. She said, never be afraid, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. That's what we have in a passage like this, that kind of assurance, that kind of promise coming from the mouth of our known God. I don't know about you, but we have such a a hurried life and normal rhythm and and world system that we are a part of. And the fact that that things have come to a halt has revealed that things aren't as sure as we thought they were. Maybe the world isn't as consistent and and sure that we, we thought it was. This is a moment where we get to remember that this world is not our home, that we are sojourners. The world isn't as it was meant to be. God didn't create the world with COVID-19 in it. And because of the chosen servant who doesn't weary until the whole world experiences God's justice, God's rightness, because he succeeded, we can long for the day where we will experience the fullness of that mishpat. And that only comes as you and I are put right, as the nations hear of Jesus and are put right not just with society, not just with each other, but made right with God. About 1,500 years ago, Augustine said to God, uh, You made us for Yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in You. That's, That's quite an amazing claim, isn't it? I, I wonder this morning, do you think it's true? In, in this world of, of false advertisement, where, where you have to kind of be skeptical of everything and doubt everything, I mean, if Augustine's prayer is true, that our, we were made for God, the most glorious one, who gives breath and, and spirit to all, we were made for Him and our hearts are restless till we find their rest in Him, if his, if his prayer is true, as we, we finally know what is real. We finally know why we're here. And in a moment like this, we know where to stand. Why do you think Augustine said that? Well, it's because Jesus said, Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He offered himself to us as more than just a a tradition, more than just a, a religion that we practice or a, um, a psychological comfort to us. He offered himself more than just a moral example that we hold up to our kids and say, you should be like Jesus. Jesus offered himself to us as the only sanity in all of this world. And he called it rest. I mean, there's nothing worse than believing in something only to come to the end and find out that it was a lie all along, right? We're seeing that a little bit. We're experiencing that a little bit. Because there's really nothing greater than than holding on to Jesus 
when everything else fails and you begin to experience the rest only he can give. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. May our hearts hope in him. I'm just going to pray for us. Once I pray, I want to give us a a short benediction, 2 Thessalonians. So, God, I do pray this morning that as uh, we are gathered in different homes and really physically disconnected from each other, that you would bring unity to your church uh, and GBC and really your church across this world, God, that you would you would cause our hearts to be so grateful for Jesus that you would just push out the fear and the anxiety and the, the unsettledness and that we would find our rest in him. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see through the fog this morning that, that you are at work and you are going to bring this world into a spot because of Jesus where everything is right, where all things are made new. Lord, I pray that we would trust that you're doing that new thing and that new thing will come to fruition because of Jesus. We ask these things in his name. Amen. I'm just going to leave you guys with this as a benediction. It says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 16-17, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Love you guys, really do. Let's keep praying for each other. Let's keep checking in with each other as much as we can. But let's be people this week who rest in the comfort that only Jesus, the chosen servant, could bring.